Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, I have Jen Stelliga with us, and she is a new friend and someone that I met at the Financial Therapy Conference last year. And there's just an immediate connection. Jen is an incredible person. Her warmth radiates from the moment you meet her. And she has an incredible story of how she's gotten to the place of being a financial coach. So we're going to draw that out today, but we're also going to talk about how she sees budgeting as a therapeutic process and what that means and looks like. And so I'm so excited to welcome Jen to the show. Jen, welcome. Thank you, Ed. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, would you tell listeners a little bit about who you are, what your professional identity is at this point, and then we'll draw into the backstory a little bit as we go. Yeah. So I am a coaching-centric financial planner, and I think that that's important to phrase it that way because I like my clients and potential clients to understand that I really focus on their growth and development with their money, their relationship with money, and help them create a financial plan that you know allows them to live out their values, you know, and really kind of live the life that they want to live. Which really, right, is part of your whole business name is time well spent financial coaching. Like it's just baked into it. I love it. And this is such a big thing. Right? You use those magical word combination relationship with money. So I'm going to ask you, how do you define what it means to have a relationship with money? Oh, that's such a good question. And I think it's one I'm constantly thinking about because I love to ponder and reflect on this sort of thing. But I I think that having a healthy relationship with money is just rightfully understanding money as a tool. You know, whether or not you love to focus on your money or talk about money or pay any attention to your money, if you can radically accept that it is a part of your life and it plays an important role in your life. It's a tool. And if you understand how to forge that tool into something that works well for you, then I think you have a healthy relationship with money. I love that. And you highlight that those two very common ends of the polarity, right? It is kind of almost obsessional love and focus on your financial life and the more avoidance like head in the sand. Those are both ways of relating to money or having a relationship with money. But in the coaching process, I imagine you start to get curious about why any one particular client is hyper-focused on their finances and all the nitty-gritty details. And another person may not have looked or logged into their bank account in five years. Yes. Yes. And it's interesting to see such a spectrum of thoughts and feelings and behaviors around money. Yes. Spectrum is such an incredible word, right? Because it makes things not even linear, I think, when we think about a spectrum, but it's I think about a spectrum in a like a crystal, you know, you hold it and the light shines through in so many different ways. Yeah. Is that kind of what you mean when you say spectrum? Yes, absolutely. Because you can kind of watch people vacillate in their responses too. So I don't think it's linear and I don't think it's static. I think it's very dynamic 
in how mm-hmm. people relate kind of based on where they are in their life and what they learned about money, what they're bringing, their understanding of money that they're bringing into adulthood. So there's a lot of components to how they show up with their money. I love it. And I, I'm a fan of complexity. Now, some people think that's not so great. We should get things simpler. But I, I do think that in this journey of working with money, we have to kind of go back and forth between complexity and simplicity, right? It's like, there's lots of things going on here. And how do we boil it down into something we can kind of hold on to in a more simple form? And it's kind of this back and forth. Have you found that to be true in your work? Absolutely. In fact, one of the phrases I try to use with clients or when I do newsletters is review, reflect, prepare. Because I think that within those three steps, we get the complexity and we get the simplicity. Because if you can pause to say review last month, take a look at your budget, notice how you spent, notice how you feel, like just kind of do an inventory review of what happened. Then take some time to reflect. And that's, I think, where the complexity can come in because you can start to think a little deeper about the why and what's going on. Yeah. And then you can maybe jump back into the more planning linear focus of like, okay, I'm going to prepare for the next month. What can I do differently? What do I want to keep the same? what's working for me, what's not working for me. And then just repeat that process, whether it's monthly, quarterly, annually, however people want to factor that in. But I I think it integrates both that a, a simple, keep it simple, but also spend some time thinking of the nuance and understanding the complexity. There's so many parts that I love to all of this. So before I start asking more questions, tell us about your backstory, because you haven't always been doing this whole financial coaching thing. You've had a really successful career prior to going into the financial planning world. So can you tell people a little bit about your life story and how you got to doing this work and why it's so darn important to you? Yes. So I started off my adult life as a logistics officer in the Air Force. So I very much have a mentality of planning and preparing and being ready to go. Uh Uh-huh. That's just kind of naturally my mindset. I like to organize. I like structure, but I also like to play and be creative. When I left the Air Force, after I started having kids, I decided to get my master's in marriage and family therapy. So I'm a a trained therapist, not a licensed therapist, but trained and loved so much about that, but honestly missed kind of a coaching approach. This really forward thinking, actionable. I like to push myself, challenge myself, always get better. And I had always kind of been interested in money, but scared of it. I didn't quite know what to do with Uh it. Uh And then my dad passed away. Gosh, it's been over 10 years now. So I was in my early 30s. I'm an only child. And I went to help my mom. And a big part of it was money. And trying to help her understand what is normal look like for you now? What do we need to do here? Right. And walking her through that financial process. And it dawned on me that so many people really needed help with their money and somebody to walk beside them uh, and just and be there with them and guide them. And so I I got a job. um, Fast forward a little bit, ended up getting a job at a small RIA, kind of learned the ropes there, but then realized that my vision didn't really fit neatly into an established investment firm. 
Yeah. And that yeah. I wanted to really help coach people towards financial wellness right. while offering them a financial plan. Yeah. So I decided I needed to just create create my own thing. <laughs> yes, I love it. Wow. Jen, I just there's I knew this was gonna be a great podcast interview and I hope the listeners are enjoying it as much as I'm I am. There's you know that warmth and I think warmth and strategy don't always walk hand in hand, but like you have the strategic mind and you have the warmth. So those two things coming together. Wow, so powerful. Because you were talking about your your father's passing and then having to step in and helping your mom with the finances, really it sank in with me at a deeper level as I, I started to reflect on my own family and my own parents. And you know, so much of why I'm in this work is because I've been trying to understand my parents' money dynamic and what's gone on there. And I now realize like it's funny because in the world of therapy, we start we they kind of teach you like you're not responsible for your parents. Right. And yet, like, and we would even maybe say that's part of our mental health is learning that we're not responsible for our parents. And yet for most of us, we have some cultural assumption, family assumption, and expectation that at some point we do almost return to being responsible and helping our parents. Yes. And that I couldn't help but think about like, what would it be like if for my father to die before my mother and to help her with the finances? And there's places where I think cash flow and, and budgeting, she's got that no problem, bill pay. Mm-hmm. But that understanding the investments and the taxes and what's going on there and what does having this amount of money in your investment account actually mean for you? I don't know like where she's at with that. So yeah. it just gets me thinking more and more about there's so many people in this middle season of life have confronted, are confronting, or will confront walking one or both of their parents through some part of their financial life or journey. And being equipped for that is is not something we get any formal training or education on. It's not. And if I could share a quick story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I have had a previous coaching client who actually just signed on to become a planning client as well. Oh. And she, her family is very close knit. They're very tight. And I learned coaching in my coaching work with her that it was important to her to establish a fund because I'm big into like bucketing your money. Sure. A giving fund uh-huh. because she was constantly giving money to her family. Uh. So she's young. She's in her mid to late twenties, yeah. but she is already looking at how do I position my finances so that I can help my family when they need help. Now there are a lot of talks in there around boundaries Yes. Um, when do you give money? How much is appropriate? How do you want to structure this so that you're not draining your own finances? But she's very clear already that this needs to be a part of my financial plan. I need to have a bucket of money where I can help elderly family members or even younger family members. But this is this is what my family does. And I love that she was so aware of that. But yes, it highlighted that that is an area to talk about. It's a rich and complicated and dynamic area. And I think it gets oversimplified sometimes and pathologized that if we're financially supporting our family, we're doing something wrong. Like that we're enmeshed yes. or enmeshed is kind of the word that's coming to my mind. But like there's such a different lenses of looking at the meaning of financially supporting aging parents. And I think our whole cultural view of financial independence is this assumption, radical in the more extreme forms, that every person would be completely financially independent and need no familial support and no social support. Like we can just be a person unto our own island. And yet I think through most of human history, that's not the way things have really worked. 
Right. We've had to support one another with resources. Right. And as parents age, that there's an expected place that the younger generation will take care of and provide for them even financially. So like just even this whole concept of retirement planning is a relatively modern and wealth focused concept. It's at least as I understand it. So it's it's a place of consternation. and, And I know in my work with families and adult children, trying to balance, and I'm curious how you see this and work with this is when you have multiple siblings, right? So for you, it was just, well, I have no other siblings. So it's, <laughs> it's, it all falls on me. And the only child perspective, I'm curious about that. But I also know that sometimes there's the res- air quotes, responsible sibling. And then there's like the black sheep sibling. And then there's the capable, but not interested sibling, <laughs> however we want to label But that becomes a whole family dynamic about who's responsible for caretaking mom or dad or both. And at what point does that come into play? So curious, how do you cross that bridge with folks when that comes up? So I think that I try to encourage people to have good, open, honest conversations with their siblings. Like this client in particular that I just mentioned is coming to mind. And so I will always check in with her. I'm like, what are your siblings thinking about all of this that's going on? You know, do they have an opinion on what's best for mom and dad moving forward and trying to just encourage, because frankly, I coming from a family of just me as a kid, don't have that firsthand experience of what it's, what it's like to have to talk to your brothers or sisters. So I try to come at it place of curiosity to just learn more about like, what are your dynamics? Do you even talk? Do you even want to work? this sibling, right? Just like starting from there. Yeah. And I think with this young gal in particular, that just got her wheel spinning about like, oh, I I can take a step back and think about this, like how I interact with my siblings and how I might want to approach this because it's not going to just be linear and straightforward. Yeah. You know, it is, it is so funny because it, I think I want to give a lot of credit to training as a family therapist to get me to think about to, that's allowed me to expand my thinking and recognize the different roles that we take in the family and what does that mean? And it feels so obvious to me now that like, I think that everybody else thinks about like <laughs> the different roles that each sibling plays and how support goes. But I don't think most of us don't fully think through that. We just feel the impact of it. But there's kind of this life cycle effect when we get to a certain point in life when caring for mom and dad or becomes more relevant, or maybe we have an adult sibling that's not flourishing financially. And we're asking questions about what do we do there? What's our responsibility to our brothers and sisters when they're struggling in life? So there's just so much there. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We can keep going down that road, but I'm really curious, Jen, you put this idea in front of me and I I love it is engaging budgeting as a therapeutic process. Yes. And so I'd love to open that door up to tell me about kind of how you frame that, what you see happening with folks as, as you engage them around the budgeting process with kind of a therapy lens in mind. Yeah. So I really love working with people who, who want to be intentional with their money. And we talked about this independence word. I tend to lean towards this, the notion of like, try to be as independent as possible. We could get into that whole can of worms later, but you know, in a healthy sort of way, Right. right, basically just learning to take responsibility for yourself and your money. And yeah. I think that one of the best ways to be intentional is to have a budget uh-huh. because it's simply a map, right? It helps us to set up boundaries. We can have way markers along the way. So we understand like, am I going the right way? Am I achieving my goals? And for couples, 
it can very, you know, many times be like playing in the sandbox. It's a chance for them to work on something together. Right. Where maybe they haven't in a while, where they can learn and practice, not just learn, but really practice communication skills. Yeah. Problem solving, goal setting, checking in with each other certainly can create some tension, but it is an opportunity to have something in front of you that you can point to. It's not just a theoretical conversation. It's like, here's this thing that we want to help us achieve our goals and dreams. And it's bringing all of these issues to the surface. Let's talk about it. I love that. There's a lot of richness. And I wish you could kind of capture the four things you listed off. Like it's in trying to create a budget together, it puts you in the metaphorical sandbox and it's really testing your own psychological and relational abilities, right? And if the, if a couple is able to sit down and craft a budget together, then it probably means most psychological and relational systems are on board and working pretty well. But if you're struggling to create a budget together, then it just means that there's some opportunities to work on some different psychological and relational skills like communication, caretaking, the ability to set goals, maybe the ability to maintain goals. I was talking with a couple recently where she'll push towards a particular goal and then he'll agree to it. And then he doesn't follow through. Yeah. Right. And then, like, that's not a one time thing. That's a happened multiple times. So now we've got a pattern right. and a problematic pattern. And so they're looking for support on how do we, how do I know if he's saying, yes, I'm going to spend this much money in this category that it's actually going to happen? And so there's being able to perceive that, like, in this case, wow, my partner is feeling pushed into or backed into the corner. It was his specific words, mm-hmm. which happens so much, right? Is we don't even recognize that sometimes we're backing our partner into a corner with a goal we're trying to work towards. And the more they feel backed in the corner, the more trapped they feel, which then leads them to either make a commitment they're not going to be able to keep or exploding. So there's some just very predictable ways that that couples get stuck. So as couples get stuck in in the budgeting process with you, what are some of those exercises or activities that you like to do to help them get unstuck and play nicely in the sandbox? Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. So I'm going to back up just a little bit before we even get into the true nuts and bolts of budgeting. I will usually do a values exercise Uh and a a strengths exercise so that we've got a couple of things to look at and fall back on and be like, okay, these are the values that you've committed to as a couple. So we, we have that kind of laying the template and I will often build their budget for them to start with because so many of the folks that come to me just don't even really know where to start. So after I collect information from them, like they do a rough kind of spreadsheet for me. Uh I'm like, it doesn't need to be perfect. Let's get 75% of what you think you spend. Yeah. I will build it for them. So they have a starter budget. And sometimes that takes the pressure 
off. And I always let them know, this is what we're going to start with. We can change it at any time because it's yours and you get to make it what you want it to be. But let's get started. So when they get in there and they get stuck and sometimes it's stuck with a technical issue, like Uh they don't know how to use this software. (laughs) And sometimes it's stuck with, I don't want to enter any of my transactions (laughs) because I just don't want to. Or sometimes it's, oh my gosh, I didn't know you were spending all this money on dining out, whatever. Fill in the blank. It might. Uh Exactly. So I will use that as an opportunity to pause and to pull back and be like, let's, let's talk about your values. Yeah. Let's talk about maybe how this person sees this spending line up with a value. Yeah. Right. And start a conversation about that. And sometimes it's like, actually, that really doesn't fit with any of my values. (laughs) Which I think the word I come to is that we're reviewing and then they're reflecting and realizing, wait a second, this spending in this area isn't consistent with my any of my values. Yeah. And there's so I use YNAB software Uh with Uh all my clients that you need a budget and there's a flagging system in there and you can use it for all sorts of things. Okay. But for people that are really kind of willing to go in an extra level and do some more playing with their budget, we create a flagging system based off their values so that they can color code their spending. And then they can start to see how their spending does or does not line up with values. And then they can make a choice. Maybe they want to do nothing about it. Or maybe they say, actually, I spend so much money on dining out and it, that's detracting from my health and wellness value. Sure. And I didn't realize that. So maybe I will make a behavior change here okay. if they're ready to. Yeah. Or it might just be like, yep, see that. I'm not ready to do anything about it yet. Yeah. And that's, that's part of respecting and honoring the person for where they're at, right? Is I think that's what's so provocative about financial planning is it is going to expose where we're living, maybe incongruent with our values. And that's what keeps us a lot afraid from looking at these things because we see that then it can leave us in a sense of uh, dissonance. Man, we got to do something. But like, if I can live in a little bit of denial or a lot of denial, it protects me from actually looking at what's going on. And so it sounds like as you're working with folks, there's kind of this supporting energy towards let's keep moving into this and we'll pull back off when we, if something gets to be too much right now, kind of trusting that we can come back and revisit this. Is that what I'm sensing? Exactly. The piece where I push them and keep accountability is to at least be in the budget. Okay. At least do it. At least get into it, be working with it. Yep. We don't need to change behavior right away. Okay. But we start with enter your transactions. So I don't let them link their bank accounts right away. I ask them to give a month at least to mindfully enter their transactions because you feel it differently. When you have to enter your transactions, you just do. And it's not comfortable, but there's something like, I want my clients to get a feel for their money too. Like know it on a cognitive level, but also feel it. And so we start off entering transactions and then going to the second part, which is now let's be intentional and bucket those dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Give every dollar a job, make sure it goes where you want it to go. So as long as they're in the software, tinkering with it, playing with it, understanding what it feels like to not only track, 
but then to be proactive and say, I give myself permission to spend what a hundred bucks on shoes this month, right. um, noticing how that feels. You, this is, man, I'm really grateful to just s- slow down. We're going to talk about this slow, slowing down piece in just a minute, but to slow down and really to hear you describe your process. So, right. I, I mean, I'm a money expert by most measures at this point, mm-hmm. And yet every time I ask another professional about their process, I always learn something a little bit more and or deepen my own understanding. And as I'm hearing you describe this process of just supporting people to get comfortable looking at their numbers and actually recognizing I'm thinking about my own life. And in my early 20s, I loved, I think it was QuickBooks back in the day that I used when I would mm-hmm. enter everything yeah. and reconcile it and try to get it buttoned up. And this is when I was single and a firefighter and, and all the numbers felt right and comfortable. Nothing ever felt kind of askew. And I'll tell you, 17 years into marriage, in an income bracket that I'm still getting used to doing the family budget and getting in. We use Mint now. I've only been back in it about five months. And it's it just brings up so much stress and anxiety for me because the numbers don't feel reflective of who how I see myself. There's there's a gap between like this number says this much for food. And there's a some part of my brain that says like that's not how much money like we should be spending on food or travel or <laughs> Right. Oh my God. You know, this disability insurance bill that we pay every month. And so I think that that's that part of this challenge too, is as we go through different seasons of life, the numbers change and get outside of kind of that range of familiarity. And so I think as I hear you describe this process, it's like really very supportive around, let's just be curious about what are your numbers at now? Let's notice what's coming up for you and let's make it okay for whatever it is that comes up instead of feeling like, well, I should feel great about my finances. Well, that might be nice, but like if that's not how you're feeling, then let's start with how you're actually feeling right now, not yeah. what you think you should feel about it. Yeah, because that should is not helpful. And you know that. Therapists will say, like, don't should on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I walked right into that trap. I knew I, I didn't even see myself walking into that one, but yes, that's true, right? We and just even as we're having this conversation, I'm recognizing how much shoulding I do on myself. And, mm-hmm. and I do a lot more than I realize. And and this is when we're getting into budgeting, it is so personal because budgeting reflects our day-to-day life. It reflects mm-hmm. how we actually live our life. There's just it so does. Much. Yeah. This is great. And then I'm using Mint and I'm hearing you describe YNAB. And honestly, I've been a frustrated user of YNAB in the past. So I'm like, ah, I don't like YNAB. And maybe, <laughs> maybe it's because I haven't been very patient with myself and trying to learn a different system. But what I hear you describing in YNAB is this ability to categorize based on values. And I'm curious about that and what that, right? Because my brain is very used to the, the, the conventional categorization of this is my mortgage, this is my utilities bill, yeah. this is my insurances, these are my food and entertainment, this is my vacation. That's how things get bucketed in my head. Yep. And so like... I've been realizing and learning and wanting to get more into values-based values-based budgeting, where it's like I'm categorized like I'm spending this much to fulfill this value and this much to fulfill this value. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yes and no. Okay. So there's I call it like the back end and the front end of a budget. So the back end is really entering the transactions, right? Okay. Yeah. So that when we go to the actual budget page, right, all those dollars are where they belong. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. We uh-huh. we see that we spent on groceries. 
Now, and I could talk about this forever, so I'll try to, to shorten it. But in general- I could listen forever, so. The traditional approach to budgeting, budgets were created so that we could do reports, right? So I could yeah. print up a beautiful report and see, based off all my categories, how I spend. Yeah. That's lovely. However, yeah. that requires you to consistently categorize everything perfectly. And for a lot of people with budgeting, they struggle with structure. Uh-huh. So I take that pressure off. I'm like, we're not trying to do a lot of reports up front. Yeah. Just practice, right? Entering your stuff. Okay. So on the front end of the budget with the categories, I typically trash the YNAB template. I delete it and create my own. Okay. For most people, I will base it off a of cash flow. So okay. if they get paid, let's say you get paid twice a month, your first yeah. big category is first through the 15th. Right. And then we kind of break it into how you already naturally spend. So I don't often do housing, food, transportation, okay. buckets of money to start with. Okay. So Because I want them to see, here's what I spend on this particular paycheck. So there's that on the front end of budgeting. Like I spend this much on groceries, dining out. The values piece comes in, not on that front end of the budget, but on the back end when we're looking at transactions. Wait, can I ask a question real quick? So if if you're you're trying to align my paycheck that comes on the first, mm-hmm. a portion of my paycheck goes to groceries, the utility bill, and my car payment. Yep. Well, the car payment doesn't. So then you get to the 15th, my paycheck comes groceries because you got to keep buying groceries every week, but you don't have car mm-hmm. payment show up. But you have right. mortgage show up and then you have childcare expense, right? So there's, because there's some things that come like at one point in the month, there's some things that come usually weekly or multiple times a week for us. And so is that part of what you're talking about is you help people see how much of paycheck one goes to these things versus paycheck two is going to these things? Is that? Exactly. Because I want them to be incredibly intentional. You have this paycheck coming in. Right. How are you using every single dollar in this paycheck? Because most people don't have a concept of how their money flows in or flows out. Right. So setting up the budgeting categories, at least initially, yeah, from a cash flow perspective, can help them better organize. Like, okay, I have these two weeks until I get paid again. I just need to budget for two weeks of groceries. Oh, that's interesting. Too. That even kind of ch- changes the psychological game a little bit. Right is I'm trying to budget budget for a whole month. I'm budgeting for the next two weeks. Okay. Yeah, and it's not always where we stay, sure. but for people that aren't used to budgeting, that yeah. is a really good place to start because okay. it chunks it down a little bit. It, it's yeah. not so big and scary. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. All right. So I interrupted because you were going to say. So then you move. Eventually, you move into values. So what does that look like? Yeah. So the way that I do the values is on the transaction screen in YNAB because uh-huh. just because that's yeah. the only software I use. And so you can choose a color for uh-huh. a flag yeah. for each transaction. And you can assign, like, let's say purple is my health and wellness uh-huh. value. So anytime I spend in a way that reflects that value, I can mark that transaction purple. And then you can sort in that view and kind of see here's all the purple transactions. Here's all the ways I've spent in health and wellness. Or right. maybe it shows up that, well, I'd like to see how much I spent on health and wellness. I can't find any purple flags. Mm. Maybe I didn't actually spend 
on anything that truly reflected my health and wellness. Which that raises an opportunity for changing too, right? If you're saying my health and wellness is important to me, but there's no money being spent in that category, what's happening there? Is that right? Right. If you're saying this is a priority for you, but then there's not any money flowing there, we need to figure out how to get some money flowing into that value. Right. Or is that value as important as you think it is? Right. Because I'm sure you've seen clients come in who, especially on the planning side, kind of give the party line of like, well, these are the things that are important to me. Retirement, education, blah, blah, blah. All very important things, but getting to the complexity that you were referring to earlier, how much time have they actually spent thinking about what are my values? How do I want to live them out and express them with how I use my money? Well, I think that that's part of this culturally at the collective cultural level. We learn that these are the good values to have retirement and education funding. We'll just pick on those two. Right. But then... What does that actually mean at a deeper level, both philosophically, timeline and expense level? And that's where, I mean, that's why I think people are coming to professionals is to help them draw a little deeper into that so that they can get clearer and make more intentional decisions. Because, I mean, if we knew how to do it for ourselves, we would do it. Or if we know how to do it ourselves there's and we don't, then there's something else going on that we need some help with. Yeah. You know, Jen, before we wrap this up, the other day when we were talking, you you shared a powerful story of slowing the process down. And I want to revisit that story for listeners because I think it, it's something that needs to be said and heard. I had a prospect reach out. She was actually referred by another planner. And as we were talking, and it was kind of my turn to share with her what I do and how I do financial planning, I told her that I really just slow the process down. We're not in a hurry. We're going to take time to give her space to talk about how she feels with money, how she's grown up with it, what she wants to do with it. And it brought tears to her eyes because Mm. like, and I, I sensed relief. She's like, that's exactly what I need. She's like, I just, I just need the space to do this. And, and I think there's a lot of people that are looking for that and feel rushed in so many ways of life. But especially with planning, it feels like, hurry up and give me your documents. And then I'm going to hurry up and give you this plan. And then you need to go hurry up and implement it. And <laughs> that sums it up pretty nicely. Right? Yes. yes. <laughs> and for some people, it's totally yeah. fine. That's of course. great. Yeah. But for a lot of people, it's not. And they feel some guilt and shame around that. And they're relieved when they can find this space to slow down. And just, I almost, I watch your chest like rise and fall as you say, slow down, right? And I feel it in my body because, and this is, it's easy. And this may sound like I'm beating up on the financial planning industry. And maybe I am a little bit, not my intention, but the structure of financial planning delivery is about efficiency and reducing the number of meetings that you have with clients. Sure. Right. And let's give it the benefit of the doubt. That's so that we can serve more clients. Let's also be honest that sometimes that's about being able to make more money. Sure. And I'm all for making more money, not against that. But when it comes at the cost of the client experience, that becomes a dynamic tension. And yeah. right, there's a lot of folks that need to be able to crawl before they walk and walk before they run and run before they do a 5K and do a 5K before they do a half marathon and then fully be a financial marathoner. 
Yep. Right. Like that's a, it's a long arc and we're all somewhere at that place. And sometimes we're trained up to be a money marathoner and then we need to take a break and go back to being just a 5 er And sometimes we slide back to being a financial couch potato for a little while. And that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Right. Because I mean, and I say that in a playful way, but sometimes we have life events that just mm-hmm. knock our legs right out from under us and everything that we thought we were doing it on track for financially is blown apart. And yep. we got to kind of go into rehab, rehab. I know that has such negative connotations, <laughs> but like financial therapy, rehab, physical therapy, rehab, like our financial life sometimes needs a rehab because what we thought we were working towards has been blown up for any number of reasons. So I just want to highlight and compliment you, Jen, for that awareness of how valuable it is to slow down. I felt it just being with you today and hearing you say, I get so excited. I could talk about this budgeting thing forever. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I could listen forever. I love it. But it's also just that that awareness that I'm excited about this and there's a lot to it. And I'm going to be able to slow down and pace with my client for where they're at. Yeah, That's so valuable. And so as people are thinking about finding a really great financial planner, financial coach, I would give a huge shout out to Jen and say, definitely check her out. But just as we're sorting through and Of course, I'd love to work with you too, if you're listening. But as you're evaluating the market space of different types of financial planners, you can be aware that there are planners with different orientations and they have strengths and limitations. So for those of you that want a slower, more reflective process, working with Jen or myself is the way to go. For those of you that want like the quick in and out and I just give me the numbers and nothing but the numbers. There are plenty of planners out there that will provide that for you. Jen, as we bring this interview to a close, is there a parting piece of wisdom, guidance, or hope that you'd like to offer? Yeah, I think if people are feeling uncomfortable with their money, whether it's fear, shame, or guilt, I want them to know that they're not alone and they don't have to hide from it. That they can add, there's people out there that care. There's a lot of us out there that care and see them and want to walk with them to get them to a place that they feel good about. And I think people need to have that, that hope. That's such a relief. I have felt that today. That's partly why I shared some of my story with you, right? And the listeners, like, if you listen to the podcast enough, you're going to know, like, sometimes Ed shares a lot about himself, and sometimes Ed <laughs> doesn't share much. And it's not always the guest, but the guest can be a big part of that factor. And so thank you for letting me just own some of where I'm at in my own financial journey and, and feeling seen in that too. Oh, of course. I feel so blessed to know you. I'm grateful for the work that you do. And thank you so much for having me on. No problem. Have a great day. You too. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, It will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed. Ed.